Hello, this is Katie Versio, Senior Financial Planner with Evergreen GovCal based in our Bellevue office, and you're listening to the Evergreen Exchange. This podcast discusses topics related to wealth management, investing, personal finance, and macroeconomics. Today, I'll be talking with two of Evergreen's managing directors, Jeff Yulberg from our wealth management division, and Kelly Sterling with Evergreen Sterling Cooter. And we'll be discussing tax policy and the upcoming election. If you have any follow-up questions, please reach out to your wealth consultant, or if you're interested in learning about becoming an Evergreen client, visit our website at evergreengovcal.com and take our client compatibility survey, or email me at kversio at evergreengovcal.com. And you'll find that information below in the show notes. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Evergreen Exchange. I'm joined by two managing directors here at Evergreen. We have Jeff Yulberg on the wealth management side and Kelly Sterling um, with Evergreen Sterling Cooter. So this last summer, we completed the acquisition and integrated Evergreen Sterling Cooter into our wealth management services. For some of our clients, you may know that we have been looking for a solution to integrate taxes into our investment and financial planning services that we already offer. We think having all of this under one roof will really help to increase efficiencies and add value to our clients. Kelly, uh, I appreciate this is your first uh, first time on one of our podcasts. Would you mind just uh, giving a brief introduction on yourself, your background, and, and Sterling Cooter? Sure. Thank you, Katie. Um, yeah, our firm was um, uh, started in 1986, and we've been in the in the Seattle area for the last uh, almost 40 years now. Uh, my partner John Cooter and I started the firm, and we have a, a practice that um, uh, is a mix of business and uh, individual clients. Uh, we do work in the taxation area um, as well as business consulting and, and uh, business advisory services. And uh, we are, um, we've got uh, 12 um, employees here and uh, we uh, are kind of a niche firm. We have, uh, uh, most of our clients are closely held businesses uh, that um, uh, have maybe 10 to 20 employees, and then we have um, high net worth individuals that uh, um, uh, that take up a part of our practice. And um, we have um, worked with many RIAs in the in the uh, in the past, and uh, we have mutual clients with Evergreen that we've worked with for many years. And uh, the opportunity came up to emerge with Evergreen, and we. Uh, feel like it is a really a, a great step in the direction for both Evergreen and our firm. Uh, we uh, definitely uh, will be able to um, expand our firm and use the resources of Evergreen to provide uh, top-level accounting and tax service to our clients. So we are um, very uh, happy to, to be here and look forward to a great relationship. Yeah, and if I could add anything, Katie, from kind of the Evergreen perspective, you know, we've had, as John or as uh, Kelly has said, we we worked with them in the past, and and we work with many of the local CPA firms, and and the impetus of us looking to to find a firm to help our clients and and help us you know, get new clients was really just our frustrations from a lot of the uh, poor service that our our clients were getting from outside CPAs, and us trying to get answers and good advice on the tax side. So we decided that it would be best for our clients to bring it in house. 
You have your wealth consultant who kind of controls the relationship and then facilitates that through our different investment offerings and now through our tax services. So our clients don't feel disconnected. It's one unique offering um, that really they can go to one place and get everything done. So we're really excited. Uh, we definitely targeted uh, Sterling Cooter because of the way that they give tax advice and uh, just the high level of service that they give their clients. Perfect. Thanks for that. So we're really excited to have Kelly today. I think it's very relevant as we discuss tax planning and the upcoming election. So we're going to look at potential tax changes that, that could arise from this election and strategies that you can take today in order to maximize the current tax code. We've got a lot to discuss today. So if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out to your wealth consultant or reach out at to my email, kversio at evergreengovcal.com. That's K, V as in Victor, E-R-C-I-O at evergreengovcal.com. So diving right into it, first we want to look at um, potential changes to a tax code, to the tax code under a Biden presidency. So Kelly, what are some potential changes individuals should be prepared for? Well, uh, Katie, first let me just... Um kind of just generally speak about the, the new plan. Uh, so the, the new plan will raise about $3 trillion to $4 trillion over the next decade. And um, it, uh, the, it, currently there's a lot of political pressure to increase tax on uh, the wealthy and high-income earners. And generally this plan accomplishes that. Um, the, the top 1% taxpayers will see an after-tax uh, decrease in their, their after-tax income by 16%, uh, and middle, the middle 20% of taxpayers will see a reduction uh, in, in after-tax income of 1% to 2%. Um, so it really is um, geared towards raising money from the wealthy and the high-income uh, earners. Uh, the, the law uh, basically uses a threshold of $400,000 of, of income um, to, um, to affect most of these, these tax increases. And that, that only affects 1.8% of the population. So it's a, it's a fairly easy sell, quite frankly, um, to, because it only affects that, um, that, that uh, low percentage of the population. The uh, under four hundred thousand uh, dollars, Biden has um, uh, stated that no one will be affected under four hundred thousand dollars, and that is uh, largely true. Um, however, there are some uh, indirect effects on low-income earners um, by the reinstatement of the health insurance mandate under Obamacare, and then the the higher corporate tax rates will affect. Uh, dividend payouts um, in, into 401k plans, and in the long term, that could um, also result in um, lower wages. So there is some um, indirect effect on the, um, the lower income earners. Um, specifically, um, the, the tax rates for, um, for individuals will be increased from a top rate of 37% to 39.6% for those earning over $400,000. And um, the, the actual increase is a little bit higher in that uh, that 37% tax um, rate under the current law starts at about $600,000. So uh, a 
someone in the who makes four hundred thousand dollars today pays thirty five percent, and under the new law they'll pay thirty nine point six percent. The the law also increases the long term capital gain rate from a twenty percent maximum to thirty nine point six, the ordinary tax rate uh, for um, people with income of over one million dollars. And there's also a three point eight percent Medicare tax that will still apply. So. So the actual top rate for capital gains on um, people with income of over a million dollars will be 43.4%. Um, and then they've also um, they're eliminating the 1031 exchange for individuals who make over $400,000, and and that uh, is um, that may affect the real estate market as about. 40% of transactions now are done with uh, 1031 exchanges. Um, from a um, from a reduction standpoint, uh, from a tax saving standpoint, they uh, the plan restores the state and local tax deduction. It uh, increases the child care tax credit from $2,000 to $3,000. Uh, it also provides a first-time homebuyer credit of $15,000, which is new, and it also um, provides a, um, uh, a new caregiver credit of $5,000. So there, there are some benefits uh, as well as increases. Um, one of the other increases that will affect high-income earners is the limitation on uh, deductions, on itemized deductions, to 28%. Uh, benefit. So, in other words, if if you give a hundred thousand dollars to charity and you're in the thirty nine percent tax bracket, instead of saving thirty nine percent, you're limited to a tax saving of twenty eight percent. So that is going to indirectly increase your your taxes um, even further. So those are the main. Um, main provisions that will affect individuals at this point. If you're curious to learn more about how this uh, tax code compares with Biden's proposal, we do have an article on our blog that uh, that goes into a little more detail there. Good point. Um, so I, on our team, Kelly, have, have been kind of skeptical or a little bit less concerned about the Biden tax increase because I think it's unlikely that Biden in the middle of a recession will storm ahead and raise taxes. Uh, I think that'll be negative for the markets. And I think he's gonna be really cautious about doing that in the first two years, especially if it is a, a blue wave and we have a, a sweep uh, of Congress too. Uh, the last time that happened was in 2009 where you had Bush going out, the Republican, or Biden, uh, Obama coming in, and he actually had control of Congress at that point in time. They didn't raise taxes in the middle of that recession. They actually didn't raise until I believe 2013. So I guess I wanted to hear your opinion on really, do you believe that it's something that will happen? I know it's all uh, speculation and we don't know. And then from there, I'll follow up with, uh, of the, the proposed items that he would uh, like to do if he could do anything, uh, which ones do you think are most likely to be implemented and which ones do you think could kind of be, be given up in negotiations? Yeah, well, uh, yes, it's all speculative right now, for sure. And, um, you know, over the last 30 years of practice, uh, I've seen many um, um, law changes, and they what, what starts out as the proposal um, usually 
differs quite a right. bit from the final law. So, so this is very speculative, and uh, it uh, you know, we, we and we don't know really as far as the retroactivity. Um, you know, he he will if Biden wins, he won't be in office until 2021. So that would be the earliest that any of these proposals could be um, could be uh, enacted. Um, you know, it really depends upon whether there's a blue wave. If there's a, if the Republicans continue to control the Senate, then there'd be right. a much more restricted and narrower scope to tax policy than um, if if they if the Democrats take um, all parts of of the government, basically. So, uh, and if they do that, you know, I um, he he's been pretty, um, you know, he's been pretty certain about the fact that he's going to make these changes. So, On the well, you know, right. it, 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 I, I, I would, I would think that, um, there could likely be some changes, um, happening in 2021 if, um, if there is a, a blue wave and they do have control of, of, um, you know, of, right. of all facets of the government. Okay. So let's say that Biden does implement his plan. What are some strategies for people to consider doing now in 2020? Well, um, yeah, I mean, generally, we've always, uh, it's always better to, been better to defer uh, income uh, and, uh, and, and increase deductions uh, to get the earliest tax benefit possible. So this kind of turns that strategy on its head. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the strategies now would be to try to push income into 2020, um, and there are some, the e- easiest way to do that is through Roth conversions. Quite frankly, it's a, a very simple means of uh, of generating income in in the current year. Um, there, um, you know, also taking bonuses before the end of the year. Um, the uh, uh, at the same time, we've always if, if you're if you're trying to generate income, you normally would want to defer deductions into the following year because you would get a better bang for your buck um, at that higher tax rate. But the restrictions on itemized deductions um, would actually decrease that benefit in the future. So so usually, you know, we're basically trying to um, time income and deductions in the same manner. And with this 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 uh, new plan, um, it, it would be better to take deductions as well in, in 2020. So, um, so, yeah, so basically taking deductions in the current year, creating income, trying to pull income into 2020 um, so you're not paying as much tax, uh, exercising stock options uh, and taking more income uh, in that manner, um, trying to um, close any type of uh, real estate transactions uh, in, before the end of the year would be uh, another way to to increase income this year. So um, yeah, so so generally, I think people are going to start taking um, making some of those those moves. And again, this is for the high income earners and and wealthy individuals um, that um, you know are going to be the ones that are going to be taking these steps at this point. Yeah, I think this is a, a great example of why we wanted to merge with uh, Sterling Cooter. Uh, you know, the tax implications are one thing that should be considered when you're driving um, 
these decisions, but also we want to couple that with the investment decisions and is it a good time? So, you know, when we look at should we be taking capital gains this year, Evergreen, as if you're a regular listener or reader of our stuff, you know, we think that the markets are expensive right now. So that's also a good benefit of potentially pulling those gains forward, realizing the tax uh, gain, but also it could be a good time because the market could uh, sell off because it's somewhat frothy at this point. Conversely, you know, with the Roth conversion, you are going to pull that income forward, but the concern would be, is the market overvalued and then it retroactively sells off after that pull forward? You can, you can back that out. We could do that. But all of these things really are deeper discussions that you would want to have with your wealth consultant. And that wealth consultant could bring, bring in a member of our planning team. They could bring in a member of, of Evergreen Sterling Cooter to, to get a tax perspective. But these are, we're just trying to plant some seeds for everyone today so that they can be active and have the right uh, questions to bring up to the wealth consultants. Yeah, one, I wanted to add one thing about Roth conversions. Uh, there is a, a part of the plan that's not really, has not really been publicized too much, and that is um, the equalization of the retirement plan savings. So, you know, currently if uh, a high income earner puts money into a 401k. If you're if they're in the 39.6% tax bracket, they would receive a 39.6% tax bracket. If they put 10,000 into a 401k, they would save $3,900 in tax. Um, if you're a low-income individual, uh, let's say you're in the 15% tax bracket and you put $10,000 into your 401k, you're only saving $1,500. So, um, so a part of this plan would be to equalize the um, the benefits of putting money into retirement between the low-income earners and high-income earners. And so uh, the way they've discussed doing that is, is eliminating the deduction for putting money into a 401k plan and replacing that with a credit that uh, like a dollar for dollar credit that equalizes the benefit. So um, the tax policy center has has uh, th- has studied this, and they believe 26% would be the the equalization point. So, uh, in in other words, if you put in that $10,000 uh, and you're 90 and you're in the 39% tax bracket, you would be getting uh, $2,600 savings. And if you're a low-income uh, earner, instead of $1,500 in tax bracket uh, savings, you would be getting a $2,600 savings. So, um, you know, what that would be doing is is incentivizing high-income people to not put money into uh, retirement plans. Um, and it would, it would really make the Roth um, IRA a, um, and Roth accounts a, uh, a very uh, um, a good alternative because that would, um, uh, you know, not be taxed when it comes out, and you're not going to be saving as much money going in. Um, you know, and the the other the other issue with that plan is that if you're a high income earner, uh, you put money into a pre-tax account, and you save 26% going in. Well, when you take that money out, it's still going to be taxable to you. And if you're still in the 39.6% tax bracket when you retire, then you're going to be paying, uh, you know, 39.6 on on money that you save 26% going in. So there's um, a real disincentive 
for high-income earners to put money into retirement plans under that under that proposal. So anyway, so that that's something that mm-hmm. may come up. Um, like like I've said, this is very speculative, and and the I think the uh, practicality of doing something that, like that might be difficult. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So um, looking at some of the estate planning implications, estate tax, uh, I know that this can get a little into the weeds. So just keeping it high level, what are some of the proposed changes there and what are some potential strategies that the clients can look at? Well, the, the two big changes um, to the estate planning uh, rules are, are, number one, the reduction of the uh, lifetime exemption from 11.6 million uh, currently down to 5.9 million, um, and that effectively rolls the the exemption back to the pre-Trump law. And uh, so, you know, that means that uh, if you have um, uh, an estate that's over basically six million dollars, you would be subject to federal estate tax. Uh, and the the other significant change is the elimination of the step-up in basis um, of assets that are held at death. And uh, under the current law, the the beneficiaries of an estate receive a step-up in basis, and and the the appreciation of that uh, those assets um, is is basically non-taxable to the beneficiaries. They start with um, the value at the date of death. And uh, under the Biden plan, they have proposed doing away with that step up in basis. So that means beneficiaries would need to pay the tax um, uh, upon the appreciated assets prior to a person's death. And um, the, the plan does not really specify how they're going to to uh, do this. There's two different uh Ways on the on the basically on in, in the plan that might occur. One is to have a carryover basis for the beneficiaries. So um, they would, if, when they sell assets, they would pay tax when they sell those assets. The um, the other way to do this is to just tax the unrealized gains upon death, and uh, th- this. This proposal would result in um, basically the liquidation of of some assets in the estate to pay the tax upon death. So um, that's problematic if you have an illiquid estate, if the estate has Mm -hmm. a family business um, and there's value there. um, So that that, uh, is a problematic uh, uh, issue. The, to, uh, you know, the, there's actually been two different uh, attempts to do away with the stepped-up basis in the last 30 years, and, and each of them have failed um, because they were so unpopular. So, so um, mm-hmm. this is definitely in the proposal, but it's something that you know would be, I think, uh, difficult to to um, enact. the The reduction in the the exemption down to six million dollars uh, is going to you know, result in people with large estates taking action before 2021 to to use their 11.6 million dollars uh, before they die. So they would be um, making gifts to um, trusts. Uh, they would be 
um, uh, putting assets into LLCs and and giving fractional shares to their children or other beneficiaries. Um, and there's there's quite a few different types of trusts that are available to um, shift estates or their assets out of their estate prior to death. And so, um, you know, quite frankly, if this goes through, um, there'd probably be the highest uh, shift of, of wealth in U.S. history. Uh, people will be um, trying to use that $11.6 million before they die. And, and that won't be reduced if, if they make that if they gift $11.6 million in assets, there's no kind of a clawback um, if that uh, if that exemption is reduced to $5.9 million. Uh, and so, mm. you know, it would it would be a big benefit for them to do that. Yeah, the other thing yeah, that so I would are, add, I mean, yeah. oh, sorry, Katie. The other thing that I would add is that um, with interest rates so low, there are other ways that you can take advantage of, of estate planning tools beyond just because we think that the exemption could go lower. You know, it, it is set to lapse in 2025 automatically, so it needs to be extended uh, by an act of Congress to actually continue beyond that point. So not only does the administration change have an effect on that, but also, again, the, the clock is ticking for when it does lapse. Um, so we'll see what happens. But there are other tools, because interest rates are so low, that could actually be even more beneficial. Um, so again, if, if you have a taxable estate, at the very least, we think it's time to have a discussion with your wealth consultant, who then will bring in either your estate planner or, again, someone from Evergreen uh, Sterling Cooter to to answer any questions that you may have. Yeah, I think on the estate side, those are some hu potentially huge consequences for many of our clients, where the federal estate tax might not have been um, applicable. Where now, if it's lowered, I think that would really encompass a lot more, as well as the the step up in basis. I think that would be make a big impact on people's estates, and that coupled with the uh, the change last year with the Secure Act of how IRAs are passed on, you know that we were telling clients to take another look at their estate plan at that time. And so, if there's more changes, you know that that would that would warrant some more reviews there as well. Um, so, again, like Jeff mentioned. If you have questions about how this would impact, you know, passing on your estate, your estate plan, your financial plan, we can certainly run scenarios that will go in depth on those. Okay, so switching gears, you know, we have a lot of clients, Kelly, that own small businesses. How how will they be impacted by this new change? Yeah, you know, um, this is um, near and dear to my heart. We have a lot of small businesses as well, and. Uh, um, you know, I think it's going to um, the, the one of the one of the big effects, and that's something I didn't talk about earlier, is the um, the increase in Social Security uh, taxes. So this affects businesses as well as individuals. So they right now the Social Security limit um, or the Social Security tax only applies to wages that are uh, higher than 137 or below 137 thousand dollars, and under this law. Um, the Social Security tax, which is 12.4%, um, is reinstated on income over $400,000. So um, the, um, there's kind of a donut hole, they call it, for Social Security tax, where um, you pay it on up to $137,000 in wages, then it's, it goes away, and then it comes back at $400,000. 
So um, from a small business standpoint, uh, small businesses are paying both sides of that Social Security tax. So it really increases the tax rate for for high earners up from 39.6%. You have to add another 12.4% to that, and so you're over 50%. Uh, So from a small business standpoint, um, you know, that means higher operating costs for uh, from a payroll tax standpoint. Um, there is also, um, there will probably be more, uh, a, a higher benefit from being an S corporation where you can uh, reduce your uh, income that's subject to Social Security taxes. And so, um, you know, I think you're going to see a shift. You might see a shift away from from the LLCs to S-corporations due to this change. Okay, great. So um, I want to wrap this up here and thank Jeff and Kelly for joining us today. And uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to your wealth consultant or my information will be in the show notes below. Thank you for having us. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much.